0: Our sermon text from today is from John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a
1: a rich, maybe familiar text to many of you. I'm excited to dive into it with you and, and show you Christ that you may continue to be born into his likeness. Let's pray and ask that God's spirit would move among us. God, one of the interesting things about preaching a text like this is everyone wants to know what what should we do? We've come to get direction, guidance from you. And you tell us that we can't even see where we need to go. We don't know the questions to ask. And the only way we can have our eyes opened is to look to, for your spirit to come and make us new. And ironically, you tell us to look to Christ. Looking to Christ will make us new but we are blind. We are trapped. Unless you open our eyes, Lord God, we can't see Jesus. So help me lift high the name of Jesus. Help me make clear the love of Christ and work by your spirit to make him look beautiful to us, that we would be made into his likeness. Amen. In much of my pastoral counseling and my research, I have found that many people today struggle with making God-honoring kingdom-focused decisions. How many of you ever come to a major decision point in your life and you just, you don't know which path to take? You want to honor God. You want to do what's right, make a good choice, but it's just not clear what the right choice is. I know I've felt that way often. Sometimes I feel like the only thing I can say to God is just begging him, tell me clearly what to do and I'll do it. Wouldn't it just be so much easier if God gave us clear instruction? Here's the things you're going to do today, the things you're going to face today. And here's how I want you to do it. With whom should I share the gospel today? How should I interact with my non-believing friends and family? What, what job should I take? Whom should I marry? Where should I go on mission? Thousands of questions like these that make, it, make us feel like we, we just want a, a good answer because we want to obey. We genuinely want to make a godly choice in these things that honors God, gives us peace, and is a faithful witness to our neighbors. But the lesson that John will give us today in this text is that that is not at all how God's kingdom works. Those kinds of questions reveal that you have a genuine heart that wants to pursue God, yet there's still remaining blindness to how God is working in this world. It exposes how we want to, our our soul's longing for peace and joy in God, but it shows us a lack of clear thinking, this idea that we have this mindset that if we just have clear answers, then we will obey. But that's not our problem. This conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus reveals this tendency through Nicodemus, a representative of all of us walking in the darkness. What we need is not more information, just better guidance, a little more of an encouragement. We need better sight, John writes this gospel to give us that sight. Remember in the end, John gives us in chapter 20, verse 31, the main idea of his whole gospel narrative. He he arranges all of these stories. There's many more he could have told, but he's picked these stories in order to help you believe in Christ. And by believing in him, that you will have life in his name. So John's not going to give us specific instruction on life. He trusts that by believing Jesus more, looking at Jesus more, you will develop the mind of Christ and you will know how to live. That's the ultimate goal of this story in John chapter three, to give us more clarity of who Jesus is and what he is doing to call us to believe the exalted Christ to be born to a new kingdom Believe the exalted Christ to be born into a new kingdom. These first eight verses, Nicodemus exposes, or Jesus exposes Nicodemus' blindness. He shows how we are all a people just kind of feeling our way around in the darkness. He exposes our inability to comprehend the world rightly, to be able to engage the world properly. No amount of learning or study or strength or relationships or wisdom or influence can make us able to find the right path when we are blind. And then in verses 9 to 15, Jesus shows us how to find the way by keeping our eyes on the light. Interesting that looking to the light is what gives us sight in our blindness. That's the counterintuitive work of the gospel. John is expanding on these themes that he introduced in chapter one, verses nine to 13, where he said, the light came into the world, but the world did not receive him. But he came in order to give life, to give new birth so that people could be born as children of God. The way John describes this scene is meant to give birth, to give us the mind of Christ. So you don't just need instruction But because now you think and see like Jesus, we will know what we ought to do. So let's jump into these first eight verses and see how Nicodemus reveals us as people just feeling our way around in the darkness. He says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, this this section feels like it's a completely new scene, quite removed from what happened in our text from last week, this cleansing of the temple. But the word translated now at the beginning wants to link us back to that, to think, how does this relate to that last section? As Jake preached last week, Jesus came to cleanse the temple. As a picture, putting on this, this summary display through his actions of the whole first and second chapter that's bringing this new creation. Jesus is cleansing the temple as a picture of him doing away with an old creation and bringing a brand new creation. His teaching and his actions then are causing quite a stir. He's doing all of these things and people are intrigued. Why is he doing this stuff? And at the end of chapter 2, he explains, John explains, that a lot of people began following Jesus from this point forward. But Jesus knew in their hearts that they didn't quite grasp what he was all about. And then, chapter 3, he gives us an example, a specific example of one person like this. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, he explains in verse 1. He is a guy who has some authority at the temple, some authority in Jerusalem. He's the top teacher in Israel, a guy that probably has much of his Bible, the Old Testament, memorized. This guy knows what he's talking about. And Jesus' actions at the temple and his teaching all over the land is, is really kind of pushing up against his authority. So Nicodemus wants to figure this out. But interestingly, John doesn't present him as as an adversary here. He presents him more as a curious potential follower. In verse 2, John gives this passing detail that Nicodemus met with Jesus by night. Many people want to read this, read into this by night phrase, assuming that Nicodemus was just afraid to be associating with all of his fellow leaders of the Jews, and he doesn't want to get in trouble with them. So, that could be, but the way that John is arranging, assembling this gospel, we already know that he's really particular about the the details that he highlights. He wants us to see what he tells throughout this entire gospel. If you look at the theme of darkness and night throughout John's gospel, you see that it's really a picture of spiritual darkness, blindness to reality. What he's trying to tell us is that as much learning as Nicodemus has, how intrigued he is by Jesus, he's still blind. There's many of you who might come to worship regularly. You, you have genuine interests. You have all kinds of intrigue by Jesus. You might like what's going on here, but in reality, you're still in the dark. Nicodemus is utterly clueless about the light of Christ, who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And you see this ignorance in his opening statement. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's showing a little bit of a grasp of some biblical truth. But he has, really has no idea how they all fit together and what they come together to point us to. He calls him a teacher come from God and addresses him with an honorary title of rabbi. He's showing Jesus some respect. He doesn't have a clue how far short his honor falls. He's right. Jesus is from God. He doesn't realize that phrase means he bears the same nature as God. He's right that Jesus is a teacher, but he has no clue that Jesus is the Logos, the eternal Word of God, the source of all knowledge. He's right. Jesus does signs, but he can't see what these signs are pointing at. Nicodemus is misreading the signs. The, the word sign sometimes is translated miracle, and it can mean that. But the word sign just means something that's pointing to the reality of something else. Jesus cleansing the temple was a sign. It was pointing to the reality of his authority over the temple. And by extension, authority over all creation. A sign pointing to him as the king, the creator. Nicodemus understood Jesus Was making some kind of claim, but he didn't really understand what it all meant. So he brings Jesus a little closer. That's a good step to gain some more understanding. And even though verse two isn't phrased as a question, there's an implied question. He's asking really, who are you? We can't figure this out. Who are you? What have you come to do? And Jesus gets right to the point. He just cuts through all of the silly formality of titles and honor and gets to the the root of Nicodemus's question. He says, amen, amen, truly, truly. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wonders, is Jesus the Messiah? If so, what's he going to do to restore the kingdom of Israel? And hey, I'm kind of influential around here. Maybe we could work together on this project. Jesus completely sidesteps all of Nicodemus's expectations. Nicodemus thinks he knows what needs to be done. Thinks he has some influence that might be helpful. Maybe they can work together. But he's utterly in the dark about how God's promised kingdom will come. Jesus asserts that it has nothing to do with what Nicodemus is thinking. Nicodemus' imagination is broken, has broken. His eyes are blind. Even his intellect is, as smart as he is, he's still extremely limited because God's kingdom is already here standing right in front of him. And he just can't see it. He can't grasp how it's going to work. He must be born again, Jesus says. Many ways Jesus here is emphasizing the centrality and the exclusivity of this truth. He says, truly, truly, this is the most important truth for you to grasp. Unless you must, there is no other way into the kingdom of Christ. No other way. That phrase born again could also mean born from above. Literally, the word again here means from above. And we see a little bit later, that's kind of what Jesus is trying to get at. We're, we're born into this world physically, yet we were made to live in this world. Humans were made to live as representatives of the intersection between heaven and earth, come together. But we are spiritually dead. We can't represent heaven. We need to be spiritually born from above. Just as John said in chapter one, we need to be born not by the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Only then can we truly be part of his kingdom and fulfill our role as representatives of his reign from heaven here on earth. But Nicodemus still is not getting it. He thinks Jesus uses the word from above as again, which is why he responds rather sarcastically in verse four, an old man like me is to climb into my even older mother's womb and then come out again. This doesn't make any sense, Jesus. I don't, I don't think Nicodemus is deliberately trying to be obtuse and argumentative like some atheists like to argue with Christians and make jokes about a flying spaghetti monster just to mock us. I don't think that's what Jesus is, or Nicodemus is doing. He's, he's just in the dark. He's blind. These are the only categories he has to work with. Imagine trying to explain a beautiful masterpiece portrait to a blind person. You can't use any words that have anything to do with light, color, shapes, darkness, shadow, facial expressions, because those concepts don't exist for them. And same for Nicodemus. So Jesus changes the wording up just a little bit in verse 5 to try to capture his imagination a little bit differently. He's going to engage his knowledge of the scriptures and see if he can, his imagination can take those and help him understand. He says, one must be born of water and the Spirit. He should be familiar with this idea. It's all over the Old Testament. As we've explored already, Jesus has in mind new creation. And the first place we ever see Spirit and water together bringing new life is right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And you see the same two elements present in Noah's flood. The same two elements present in Israel coming through the water of the Red Sea. Over and over, this imagery is present. God has always said that for righteousness to reign on the earth, the birth of a completely new creation is required. Because within creation, an existing creation, one kind simply gives birth to the same of its kind. That's what Jesus says in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Like begets like. And because of sin, none of us are born with a heavenly spirit. All your efforts to produce different results, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, is not insanity. It's sinful humanity. Sinful humanity will always produce the same corruption. You need a new nature if you're going to produce something different. Everything needs rebirth. If the most biblically knowledgeable guy on earth can't figure that out, we're all stuck in the darkness. The clearest promise that should have been obvious to Nicodemus of this new birth by water in the spirit is from Ezekiel chapter 36. Particularly verses 25 to 27. It's the promise of a new covenant that's coming. God promised there to wash away with water all of his people's sins, and then he's going to put his spirit into his people so that they will be able to become faithful kingdom citizens. This recreation, this rebirth, Ezekiel says, will be so dramatic in the people's life. It will be like the garden of Eden restored from an utter wasteland. Chapter 37 then follows in Ezekiel with that famous story of, of the dry bones, the valley of dry bones, where the dry, dusty, lifeless bones come together and create and to, into life, creating a new humanity out of the ground. It's a resurrection, it's a new beginning, it's a new creation, it's rebirth. We're all doomed to continue to create our own sinful likeness unless we are reborn to a different nature. Verse 8 emphasizes that this need is so outside of our own control. Just like you weren't, you had no choice in your physical birth, you have no choice in your spiritual birth. Dry bones don't make themselves come together to, to life. We are utterly helpless. To repeat history. You ever heard someone say that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it? Well, Jesus is saying that's not quite true. Unless you are born from above, you are doomed to repeat history. Even if you know it, even if you see what communist dictatorships have done to their people, even if you've seen the destruction of socialism or all these other problems, we still fall into the same sinful patterns. Because that's what sinful humanity does. There's nothing we can do to escape it. Sometimes we feel like if we could just get clear answers from God, then we would just do it. But Jesus' answer is nope, that's not true. You can't, unless you're born again by the Spirit's will. Just like you can't predict the wind and control the wind. You can't predict what the spirit's going to do, when he's going to give birth to somebody. It's all in his hands. The only way to escape this cursed darkness is to be born again, which leaves us all stuck, right? Nicodemus is coming saying, what should I do? And Jesus says, you can't do anything. (laughs) Which leads us into his next question. If we have no control over it, then how does this happen? How is this going to work? And Jesus tells us by keeping our eyes on the light. John loves contrasts. He's setting up for us the contrast of darkness and light. Nicodemus is in the dark. Jesus is bringing the light. Let's look at the light in the rest of our text. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Nicodemus is responding to Jesus' presentation of this born-again concept by asking another question. How can these things be? It's not like, how do these things exist? How, How do they fit together necessarily? He's still trying to figure out, how does this come to happen How will this unfold? What are we supposed to do? If we're just sitting around waiting for the spirit to move, how can someone be born again? He still wants to know what to do. It's like if someone comes to me for some counsel with their difficult situation, and I I just really encourage them, first, foremost, look to Christ, pray, seek his wisdom in the word. Seek some counsel from many other people. And they feel like I'm not giving them any helpful advice. I'm telling them to do nothing. But that's not what we're saying. It feels like that when when you can't see the world clearly through the lens of Christ. You'd rather just someone grab some Bible verses, show you a Bible story that tells you what not to do and what you should do. If you just have a script to follow, it would be a lot easier. But Jesus explains it differently. Again, in verse 10, he calls out this misunderstanding that Nicodemus continues to have. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. Not just a teacher like Nicodemus calls Jesus. He's the teacher. He's the guy that knows his Bible better than everyone. Everyone goes to Nicodemus for biblical answers. He knows all the stories. He knows all the right things to do, all the wrong things to do. And even he is still in the dark about the right way to live as a kingdom citizen. So from verse 11 through the end now, Jesus explains just in a monologue. He tries to give clarity about what he's explaining, what he's trying to get him to understand. He says, I'm explaining this to you and you're not listening. You're not believing me. You're not trusting that I know what I'm talking about. I teach from my heavenly perspective I'm I'm trying to use earthly concepts to put pictures together to help you understand bigger realities. And you still won't trust me. I'm trying to tell you, Nicodemus, it's all about me. It's pointing to me. I am the one who gives life, who gives new birth. The point is that the answer to all of Nicodemus' questions are right there in front of him. Jesus is the true teacher of Israel. Jesus is the only true representative of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. If Nicodemus wants answers, he just needs to follow Jesus, trust Jesus, cling to Jesus, watch Jesus. He's missing what should be obvious in front of him, but it's not obvious because he's still blind. Verse 12 explains that if he can't embrace this basic truth about Jesus being the center of it all, then no amount of explanation will help him. All of scripture, all of life, all of history points to Jesus. Everything that you engage in, every decision you face, God has Intricately orchestrated to bring you to that point in order to make Jesus known as the king of everything, as the light in the darkness, the creator of the universe. Without that perspective, without centering your life with that, arranging your life around him, nothing else will make sense. The problem, he further elaborates in verse 13, is that nobody can make their way up to the light of heaven and then get that knowledge and bring it back down to everyone else. This is what Martin Luther described as a theology of glory, as he pushed back against the Catholic Church. He thought everything that they did were just blind work in the darkness. They think they're doing all kinds of good things, working their way up. Pilgrimages, financial offerings, becoming a monk or a nun, creating art that stirs emotions to worship. It doesn't work. None of these things can help you climb to glory. They miss the point of the gospel. Jesus says the only solution is for someone from heaven to come down. This is Martin Luther's theology of the cross. We can't go up. He must come down to carry us into his kingdom So Jesus is going to try one more time using a biblical earthly example to make a spiritual point. From Numbers 21. The book of Numbers is Israel just disobeying, floating around, wandering, trying to find their way, and they can't find their way. And they complain over and over. In chapter 21, they complain and rebel again. And God sends this horde of venomous snakes. And they bite these people and they're writhing in pain on the verge of death. They're laying on the ground crying out for rescue. And in their minds, they're thinking, we need medical intervention. We need someone to come and suck the poison out. We need an antivenom. Maybe at the worst, we need our, our a limb amputated. And then we're going to need psychological help, some comfort and encouragement, someone to empathize with me in my pain. But God tells Moses to craft a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and hold it up high and whoever looks at it will be healed. Simple. Trust God's plan. What kind of magic is this? What kind of solution is this, Moses? What an insult to our intellect. We need real help. We need real solutions, not your thoughts and prayers here, Moses. You think trusting in a lifted up snake is going to solve our physical needs? Some people chose to be stubborn and trust their own understanding, not aware of God's ability to work outside this realm, and they died. Others simply believed. They lifted their eyes and they were healed. They were healed. This is what Jesus has said He has come to do. We have a million problems in our world walking around in the darkness and we come up with a million solutions, but they will all lead to destruction. We can stubbornly proclaim our trust in all kinds of other options, but it will lead to destruction. God has solutions we aren't aware of in our blindness. We try to lift our eyes. We lay in death and we just look at him and he gives us life. His spirit blows throughout the earth to help someone lift their eyes to Christ. This is the only way to be connected to true, lasting life. Keep your eyes on the light. Believe in the exalted Christ to be born into a new kingdom. In the darkness, Nicodemus hears that word lifted up or exalted, and his mind goes to a king being lifted up onto his throne, a victorious king. That's what he wants. But Jesus now is combining these concepts, pointing to his own death and resurrection. First, he's exalted on the cross as a punishment for sin, to take away our blindness. You might think, that it's a little strange that Jesus compares himself to a serpent, right? Aren't serpents bad? Aren't, don't they represent the curse in the Bible? N- yes. And that's the point. Jesus is exalted to the throne of sinful humanity on the cross, taking all of our sin, all of our corruption and evil on himself, and then bearing that curse all the way to the grave and keeping it there forever. And yet he's exalted again in his resurrection as king over a new creation. The firstborn from the dead. The first man of a new humanity. He's seated at the right hand of God where he sits on a throne dispatching his spirit to bring to life all of his people. Simply, those who look to him. Look to Christ That's the answer to every question. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, I have determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the answer to every problem. How does that fit? Look at the serpent and you will be healed. It doesn't make sense sometimes. But that's the starting place. And Nicodemus didn't understand all of this at that moment. But as you trace his story through the gospel of John, you see him still looking to Jesus, still looking to Jesus until in the end, he follows Jesus through his, the final days of his life and he can finally see. So we look to Jesus. How do we look to Jesus? As I get to know each one of you, I know that there are a thousand things you're trying to figure out in your lives. And you want to do the right thing, to honor God, to be a faithful citizen of his kingdom. You want to help lead others out of the darkness. But you don't just need more information or some simple guidance or encouragement. You need a better vision of Christ and him crucified. And there are three primary ways that God's word provides for us to grow in that vision. And most of you are so faithful at these things already. It's a joy to be part of. Gathered worship, Bible-centered ministry, and Christian community. So the first thing we prioritize is Sunday worship. Because the whole purpose of what we do here is to show you Jesus and tell you what he has done. Our responsibility each week is to lift before your eyes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The logos who spoke the world into being, the son of man exalted on the cross, the righteous king who sits on his throne in heaven. If putting Jesus before your eyes is the way to transform your sight, we are going to do that over and over because Paul tells us to the Corinthians again, beholding his glory transforms you from one degree of his glory to another. But we do want to provide specific helps for you. That's why we have all the other ministries that we do. Bible-centered ministries to help get into the details of all of the specific application to your life. There's word pictures, there's stories and pictures and case studies in righteousness and sin that, that will help you navigate through your life's journey. And we can do this a little bit in worship But there's so many applications that we can't do them all. Sunday is to give you corrective lenses. Everything else we do is to teach you how to live with your new vision. Finally, you must have the Christian community to connect with spirit-filled people all around you. The pastors are not the only ministers at redemption. All of the members are ministers of the gospel. You all have gifts, talents, skills, many more than I have, and you do them much better than any of us pastors do. We can't give you all the help you need, but you can find ways to connect regularly with each other and find God has provided everything you need by His Spirit at work through His Word and through His people. We're not here to just give the blind instruction on how to navigate the blindness. We're not here to give driving directions to a blind man trying to get from here to China. That just doesn't make any sense. John tells us this story so that we can show you Christ and you can see the world like he does and have the mind of Christ. So you could be born from above with heavenly eyes and see into his world. It's only by looking to Christ that you will have eyes to see and then you can learn to drive and read a map, and get to where he wants you to go. Just as the snake-bitten Israelites were called to look to the serpent lifted on a pole. No matter what questions or doubts, pain, or problem you have swirling around in your life, believe the exalted Christ, and you will be born to a new kingdom. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would continue to open our eyes that we could see, that we would see Jesus, that we would not need to fret and be anxious about this world and all the darkness and all the crazy news we hear about daily, but we trust that your spirit is working. And our first impulse would not be, where what should I do? But what has Jesus done? And what has he promised his spirit to do? And help us pray for those that we want to know Christ, to see Christ. Just pray that you would do your sovereign work to transform their eyes and to bring revival to our land. It can only come when your spirit does the work, whether it's through us or someone else in town. God, we long to be part of that. Make it happen for the glory of the name of King Jesus. Amen.